Let's focus on the Atira Housing Society. Today, the organization's leadership uh, said they are standing behind their CEO, Janice uh, Abbott, even though an investigation found Atira received preferential treatment because BC Housing's former CEO was Abbott's husband, Shane Ramsey. Mr. Ramsey sent text messages telling staff to direct grants to Atira, which was a violation of conflict of interest rules. Uh, in total, Atira received $120 million in funding since 2018. Now, the report, which was released yesterday, says there were 24 occasions, 24 occasions where Mr. Ramsey communicated with BC Housing employees about uh, Atira, a clear violation. In July of 2022, Premier David Eby fired the entire board at BC Housing. Well, today we learned BC Housing's uh, BC Housing Board Chair Alan Seckel sent a letter to Atira asking for $1.9 million to be returned to BC Housing as the financial review, uh, which uh, came yesterday, as I said, determined there was a surplus in 2020 and 2021. And keep in mind, BC Housing uh, is a public agency. These are your dollars. Uh, Mr. Seckel requested a renewal in leadership at Atira. It was as well, meaning it's time to clean house. Think about that for a second. Now, they got a response from Atira. Uh, no one on camera, no one doing any interviews, but there was a statement. I'm going to read it to you. It says, quote, in light of the there being no findings of wrongdoing by anyone on his executive, Atira's board will not terminate its senior executive team or any of its members on request from BC Housing uh, with one day's notice. Now, today, Premier David Eby spoke to our Simi Sarah uh, in regards to the leadership at Atira and how he came to some of his decisions. Uh, He was specifically asked whether or not the CEO uh, should be stepping down. That would be uh, Janice Abbott. Take a listen to his comments. Our belief that there is a need for a change in leadership at Atira because of, frankly, uh, the disappointing response to what certainly I see as a crisis of government confidence in that organization um, and their willingness to follow the basic rules of the agreements that they enter into with us. Um, And uh, unfortunately, their press release uh, does not inspire confidence in me that that shift has taken place. In fact, it says that uh, that they have total confidence in how things have been going at Atira. Um, anyone reading the report would not have that confidence. I don't think most dis- uh, most taxpayers would disagree uh, with uh, Premier Eby. Joining me now to talk about this issue is Jen St. Dennis. She is a reporter with the TIE and has been covering this issue for many years. In fact, I would say probably the reporter who has been on top of this issue from day one. Uh, Jen, thank you for joining us today. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I guess the first question to ask is, since you've been covering this for a very long time, do you feel vindicated after yesterday's report? Um, I'm not sure vindicated is the right <laughs> word, but it's definitely, um, I think it's gratifying to all of the BC housing staff who came forward to talk to me about their concerns. I was hearing a lot of comments from the people who live in a tier operated building, people, the frontline workers who live in these, who work in these buildings and have, you know, frankly had a lot of safety concerns, a lot of concerns about understaffing, um, low pay, that kind of thing. They were all really happy to see these problems finally being talked about openly. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did you first hear of these problems without divulging obviously sources and information that you Mm -hmm. you shouldn't, but when did you first hear about um, Atira and some of the challenges that were there? 
I started just getting messages from uh, it was frontline staff initially, and it was just quite a lot of staff coming forward to me with these concerns um, with this one housing provider, which was unusual. You know, you hear you hear complaints about supportive housing all the time, but this is sort of an unusual number of complaints. And so initially, I was just writing, you know, from the point of view of tenants who live in these buildings, frontline workers who are just kind of concerned about how the buildings were being run. Um, in April 2022, um, one of an uh, Atira-operated building, the Balmoral, or sorry, the, the Winters Hotel burned down. Tragically, two tenants died. So I was writing a lot about fire safety issues, about problems there. But then at some point, it just started to shift. And yeah, these former BC housing staffers just started to speak out. And what they were telling me was quite shocking. What were they, in what they were saying, was it a question of just how specific buildings were being managed or they're saying there's a deeper systemic leadership challenge at Atira? Yeah, what they were actually, what the whistleblowers who had formerly worked at BC Housing were telling me was that for years, like since 2010, when when, um, Shane Ramsey, the former CEO, and Janice Abbott, the CEO of Atira, were first married, that since that time, you know, there was supposed to be this conflict of interest protocol in place, it was written out, but they were telling me that it had never been followed, that Shane had just um, repeatedly gotten involved in discussions, had, had told people this meeting never happened, like took steps to conceal what he was doing. Um, And we actually, for months, we actually weren't able to report it because all we had were these anonymous whistleblowers who did not want to come forward with their names. We were finally able to report it when we got some documentation, some text messages that showed Shane corresponding with one employee repeatedly mentioning a Tira projects. And then another email chain from even longer ago, um, so, yeah, it's really been going on for quite some time. Mm-hmm. You mentioned 2010, which, of course, uh, was an era when the B.C. Liberals uh, were in government. The NDP formed government in 2017. This broader issue, Mr. Ramsey was CEO for two decades. Uh, so he's, uh, you know, sometimes say ministers change, governments change, the, the, the bureaucracy doesn't sometimes. And this is a classic example of that. Um, this issue today, do you leave this at the feet of the NDP Or is it both governments, in this case, that have allowed this culture to build uh, in regards to ATIRA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I actually think it was both governments um, just not adequately responding to this. There There were multiple complaints. There were BC Housing staffers, quite senior staffers, who were bringing this to the attention of the board chair in about 2011. Um, and that person ended up being fired or pushed out basically. And that's kind of what would happen. And I think that's the crux of why it maybe took so long for this to come out um, was that there did tend to be this culture of fear and silence at the organization because people who pushed back tended to be punished. Um, and so I think it sort of set an example, but I don't really think that excuses the kind of, inaction on the part of housing ministers, previous housing ministers like Rich Coleman with the BC Liberals. Um, I've been told that Selena Robinson was told about these problems in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the, that David Eby did get a lot of criticism from BC United, which is the new name for the BC Liberals, um, yesterday in the House. But what I've heard from the BC housing staffers, the whistleblowers, is that it seems like David Eby was the first person to actually do something about this by um, commissioning this audit. So you can take that for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the news from today with this letter uh, where uh, Mr. Shackle, the, the present board, is asking for $1.9 million to be returned to BC Housing because of the surplus. Uh, Atira at this point saying no, and also in regards to the broader question that they aren't uh, going to, at this point, look at terminating in their senior executive team. Let's start with the $1.9 million first. Mm. What is the story behind that $1.9 million in regards to the surplus? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not absolutely 100 percent sure that this is that these numbers are all adding up. But the way I'm reading the report is that there was this um, single room occupancy hotel that Atira wanted to buy in about 2021, I think, mm-hmm. 303 Columbia in Vancouver, um, and they went to BC Housing and they had um, an offer to buy it, and they ended up um, getting BC Housing approval um, to do this, and they would have an operating agreement with BC Housing. And they put in $2 million of their own money, but it turned out that that $2 million was actually um, part of a couple of, like, budget year surpluses. And they're a nonprofit. They get money from BC Housing. They're not supposed to keep their surpluses. If they have a budget surplus and they can't spend the money they're given to operate their buildings, they're supposed to return it to BC Housing. Um, and Atira has had for years, has had problems with the late financial reporting. And sometimes it takes years to kind of resolve, like, did they actually have a surplus? Did they not? So, um, so when the EY auditors were looking through this, they actually brought this to the attention of BC Housing. And they said, you know, they're not supposed to do this. We think they're in violation of their operating agreement. Um, BC Housing ended up telling them that they, telling Atira that they didn't approve that $2 million, um, and then Atira said that it was going to have a really hard time meeting its payroll um, mm-hmm. and paying its workers. And so what actually happened was that BC Housing staff ended up um, giving them a, giving Atira a grant of $1.4 million. And so I think, just from my reading of the report, I think that that demand for $1.9 million back probably has something to do with that, that surplus problem, mm-hmm. just misusing the surplus. Um, but Atira is refusing to return it. At this point, yeah. Now, yes, exactly. We are speaking to Jen St. Dennis, a reporter with the Thai. We're talking about, of course, uh, the report that came out yesterday, which basically said that uh, uh, the CEO of BC Housing uh, was uh, sending text messages telling staff to direct grants to Atira Housing, which, avi- which was a violation of conflict of interest rules. Uh, Jen, let's talk a little bit about the other issue, which is, of course, Premier E. On, on CKNW today, and and uh, he alluded to this to, to this yesterday as well, which is specifically specifically that um, the CEO of Atira, uh, Ms. Abbott, uh, Janice Abbott, needs to step down. Uh, why do you think there is, based on that letter I was just reading earlier, why do you think there is a pushback on the executive team, perhaps being, or a shuffle on, resh- on the uh, reshuffle at the executive team level? Why are they fighting this at this point? Well, I think it's because Janice Abbott has just been so central to this organization. Um, she has been CEO since 1992. Atira started out as this organization that ran um, transition houses for women fleeing violence, and that's still the, the core mission of the organization. Their mission is actually to end violence against women. Um, now, under they've really grown over that time, and they've started to become like a nonprofit that develops new housing and. Um, under another, under Atira Property Management, which is like a subsidiary, they also operate um, a lot of SRO hotels for both men and women. So they do a lot of different things, and she has just been kind of steadily there for that entire time. 
And, you know, my sense is that she has sort of built up her team around her and probably has um, pretty strong relationships with many of the board members who are also all women. I'm sure all very committed to, to that cause of ending violence against women. And I assume have pretty strong relationships with her as well. How did we get here in your mind when it comes to this organization and what we heard about? Uh, 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 both the CEO of, of Atira and of BC Housing, the previous CEO. Um, it, was this uh, uh, an issue where, whether it be BC Liberal or the NDP, that look, uh, ultimately we need to build social housing and a lot of it. And as long as these folks are part of that and they're doing it, uh, they were willing to look the other way when it comes to certain governance issues? I, it's a little hard for me to speculate. I really prefer to kind of just go with what I know and go with facts. But I do think that both of these people were have been very successful in their way. Um, Shane Ramsey, I think, was perceived as a very charismatic and um, effective CEO of BC Housing. Um, and Janice Abbott as well, she was able to kind of grow this organization quite a huge amount um, and, and just really add different services. So... I'm, I really can't, you know, we, when we look at the board of Atiratio, it has to be said that there have been some political connections. Um, mm-hmm. The mayor, former um, mayor of Vancouver, Kennedy Stewart, his wife was briefly on Atira's board in like between 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that MLA Bruce Ralston's wife is also on the board of Atira. So it's, it's an organization that, you know, in the housing sector, you often find these, these people who are heads of these organizations are great connectors. Like, they're great at, at forming relationships. That's really a part of their job. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that they were able to kind of, you know, form relationships um, with decision makers. Uh, where will you be looking next, broadly, uh, in regards to your reporting on this issue? Uh, I mean, it seems like a bit of a stalemate in the sense that the government wants uh, Ms. Abbott and the executive team to step down with new leadership. Um, where do you see this going? So I'm going to be drilling down into one particular um, property purchase that that Atira made in, um, I think, early 2022 is when it got approved, and that was 303 Columbia. That's the, the property deal that I was talking about earlier. Um, I've actually been sitting on a big trove of FOI documents, and I'm just hoping that this will sort of shed some light on how these deals kind of tend to be made. You know, housing is such a pressing issue. Homelessness is such a pressing issue. And we want to solve it and we want to solve it quickly. And I think this, just delving into this one particular deal deal will give us a lot of insight into the pressures that these housing operators are under and that BC Housing is under and maybe how some of these decisions are being made um, as as they really just try to, to solve this problem. And the question is, you know, are they really solving it mm-hmm. in my mind? Jen, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay, you're welcome. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.